my kids were raised um, a lot in eastern Kentucky. Most of the time they were growing up until they got to like middle school days. We were in Kentucky. And um, um, one of the things I heard of, heard about, uh, the whole time I lived in, we lived right on the banks of the Ohio River, uh, was the great flood of 1937. People talked about it a lot. And um, um, I actually went earlier this morning and looked at some pictures of downtown Ashland, Kentucky, underwater um, uh, from 19, some old pictures from 1937. Uh, rushing water filled the downtown area as the o Ohio River kind of overflowed its banks. Uh, when I lived there in the 80s and 90s, you could still see uh, remnants of that um, um, of that flood. Um, you, you could see the watermarks on the brick and downtown buildings and, and that kind of thing. And, and people really, the, those who lived through that, kind of marked time uh, as before the flood and after the flood. And um, uh, so I've never been around... Um, certainly not here. We've, we've dealt with tornadoes and other things, but I have not really dealt with, with that kind of uh, water damage. But, but I, I began to think about it, and I was doing some reading this week on what a miracle water is. Now, we're going to talk about a flood uh, in, uh, in Ezekiel 47 today, but um, um, I, I began to do some reading this week about uh, what a miracle water really is. It's a life the most life-giving substance in some ways. It is the most basic chemical compound on the earth and the most vital. Uh, water um, covers 71% of the planet. It um, composes 65% of your body. So you are two-thirds water sitting here today. Uh, most of us wouldn't make it two or even three days without some kind of life-giving water. But because it's delivered via plumbing pipes to our homes, we often take it for granted. Um, we can determine its temperature um, through um, um, amenities like water heaters and and uh, water in the door refrigerators and that kind of thing. We can kind of decide whether we want it to be hot or cold and, and get it you know, um, I'll be washing my hands and it's too hot so I make it a little colder or, you know, that whole thing. It's, it's kind of marvelous what we can do and yet we kind of take that for granted. Uh, by the way, that's, Skip, that's a plug for plumbers. I didn't know if you caught that or not. Um, water has, um, um, water has no calories, yet it's vital to our metabolism. It is tasteless, yet is there anything that tastes any better on a hot summer day than a glass of ice water? Isn't it interesting we talk about this, and yet, and with Jerry, you're sitting here, I would be remiss if I didn't say, every 21 seconds, um, a child dies from um, uh, diseases caused by unclean water, and that's what Water 4 is all about. Uh, isn't it interesting that we have it in such abundance in some ways here, or such convenience, and yet so much of the world does not. Um, water is fundamental to photosynthesis. It puts out fires, um, and you can even swim in it if you got enough. Um, water is often used um, in Scripture to portray spiritual life and abundance. 
So we're going to deal with that part of it today. Now, um, thank you, John, for covering for, for us last week. And uh, I approached John this morning. And John teaches in the same series I'm teaching in at 11 o'clock. And so um, I, I, what I really need to be doing is uh, listening to John. But I don't get that advantage because he's not till later on today. But um, uh, I was asking where we're going to be next week, and neither one of us can remember. But we think we're still in Ezekiel next week. Um, um, so probably chapter 48 or so. Um, this lesson um, takes us through another part of the prophet Ezekiel's temple vision. Now that vision begins in chapter 40 and extends through chapter 48, the end of the book. Uh, Ezekiel presents the future in context of worship from the glorious, perfect temple of God. And John and I were talking about this a few minutes ago. I think it's been wonderful to use this passage, uh, these passages, uh, because uh, this description of this new temple just, uh, occupies so much of the, of the book of Ezekiel. But clearly, if you look at it, at, 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 if you really kind of drill down to what he's talking about, it's very, very clear that he's not talking about some future building at all. And we'll deal with that a little bit in, in, in a little bit. Um, between 43, where John was with us last week, and 47.1, which is where we'll start today, um, Ezekiel receives details concerning the officials that are going to serve in the temple, the allotment of land, and the instructions regarding special days and special procedures for the Passover. Uh, but as 47 opens, Ezekiel is brought, he's, he's been taken around to several parts of this temple in this vision. Now he's taken to uh, the east side of it, and um, he's brought back kind of to the, the entrance here of this idealized temple. Now, what I want us to do is to read the first seven verses. Bob, you up to reading after all that you had th done this week? Okay, would you read one through seven? Okay, now, did you get through seven? Okay, now, here's what I want to hand out. Okay, go. <laughs> Yeah, and that's pretty important. I'm, I'm glad we didn't miss that. All right, I'm going to hand out a couple of passages that I want us to read. Would somebody go to Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2? We'll be there in a few minutes. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. All right, great, Karen, if you'll get that. Isaiah 48, 18. Jan, that would be great. Another Isaiah passage, Isaiah 43, 20. 43, 20. Okay, Louise, thank you. And we'll get to those in just a minute. Now, uh, and I need one more. Isaiah 41, 18. Thank you, Cindy. Okay, now, the vision, 
as, as this guide takes Isaiah back to the temple, and he's going in this eastern entrance. It's kind of clear here that the temple faces east. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. But as he goes back there, what he sees is, and here's the word that goes in your blank, bizarre. Okay? It's bizarre. Now, what you don't want to happen when you go home today, okay, it's going to mean something not good. If you go home today and there is water coming under the threshold of your front door. Got it? Okay. That means something hasn't gone right inside the house, right? You just don't want that to happen. If you've ever had that happen in your house, you know, that's kind of not a good thing. Um, now here, actually it is a good thing, but it kind of conjures up this bizarre picture here. Water flowing out of the temple from under the threshold, all right? So the doors are closed. And if, if okay, I've got to get oriented right here. If I'm looking, is this east? No? Isn't that east? Okay. If I'm looking east, the water is flowing south. That's not right. I'm looking that way. It's flowing that way. Okay, so I'm looking east, and the water's coming out and down kind of the steps and flowing south out of the temple. And that's kind of what he sees. Uh, kind of an interesting deal. Somebody read Isaiah 40, verse 3. Cindy, that, who, who did I give that one to? Oh, Louise, was that one yours? Who did I give that one to? Isaiah 40, verse 3. Well, did I give anybody Isaiah 40, verse 3? Thank you. <laughs> Now, here's that guy that's kind of been Ezekiel's guide, and he's got a measuring rod. Uh, in, in this case, he's going to have a kind of a, uh, a measuring tape in his hand. All right. So by the time we get to verse 3, uh, what do you see? They've waded into water up to their ankles, and the guy has measured out a 1,000 cubits uh, they were able to wade out about a thousand cubits into this water that's up to the ankles. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches. So, Fred, it doesn't take you but a minute to figure out. 1,800 feet, which is um, about a third of a mile, something like that. Okay? Uh, they're that far out, and the water is ankle deep. Lots of water. Okay? Um, um, so, um, uh, before uh, they go very far here, about three-tenths of a mile or so, um, um, the water's up to their ankles. Now, if you look at verse 4 and 5, what's going on? It's getting deeper. They go another 1,000 cubits and another 1,000. So we're now at about a mile, okay, uh, when, they, when they get um, uh, to another 1,000 cubits, they go into um, it's, it's uh, knee deep and then it's waist deep. Uh, by the time uh, by the time they get there, um, three feet deep or so, and they've waded out into this, and they're out into it about a mile. This is lots of water, and it's flowing out of the temple. You got to catch this picture. All right. By the way, you don't want this to happen at home, do you? I just, you know, I'm thinking that's lots of water. You don't want this to happen at home. But in this case, it's going to have a good outcome. Um, now they they walk. He he takes him another fifteen hundred feet. 
or another third of a mile. They're, they're well over a mile now having walked. And the water is now so deep that you can't cross it. He's afraid to wade any farther in, into it for fear of uh, kind of drowning or, or being swept away by the water. Okay, if you've ever been uh, um, seen one of those rivers in Colorado or, or where r water is really rushing, you just don't want to try to get in there. And that's kind of what they felt, what they kind of dealt with here uh, by verse 5. Now, he asked a question that's kind of a rhetorical question in verse 6. What's the question? Do you see this? Now, literally, you've got to capture how he's asking the question. This is his guide, and Ezekiel's with him, and they're, they're waist deep in water. And he says, do you see this? What does that in, kind of a question here indicate? It's pretty incredible, yeah. There is no natural explanation for this. Do you see all this? Now, um, there is just no really good explanation of this. Uh, did, I have, did I give somebody Isaiah 41, 18? Cindy, would you read that one? This is not a place where you're normally going to see water at all. Certainly not very much water. Uh, Isaiah kind of uh, mentions another place where the Arabah, the, um, the, the desert, becomes overrun with water and it becomes verdant. This is not a natural thing going on here. And, and this angel that's leading him around says, do you see this, Bob? That's true. That's a really good vision. Do you catch that? That was good, Bob. There's so much of this that we don't even understand. It's too incredible for us to fathom. And, and he's kind of in the middle of a vision of it here. Now, um, it, this made me ask the question, and I read this question, can we ever get enough water? Can we ever get enough of, of this special water that God is offering us. And we're going to kind of try to identify that in a minute. But I begin to think about um, how does water, how, through scriptures or through things that you have thought about, uh, we heard Bob using um, uh, water to illustrate prayer and the power of prayer. How does water illustrate the character of God? Let's look at a, a few scriptures that kind of talk about that, okay? Uh, by the way, Ron and I are, or elderly, well, me more than her. And the, the song that kept running through my head today is, was sung by Petula Clark. And she said to me, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Remember Petula Clark? Uh, what, was her, what was her best song, her famous song? Downtown. Downtown, that's right, yeah, okay. Well, this one was, uh, my love is stronger, the deeper than the deepest ocean. Why do, okay, remember that whole thing? I, I could hum it to you, but I can't remember all the words. Uh, we didn't get past the first line, but okay, that was that one. All right, I, I thought of that as I think of how deep and wide God's love is. Uh, let's let's look at it. 
Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. I know I gave that to somebody. Psalm 24. Is that you, Karen? God's love is deep as the ocean. All right? Um, and, and this is kind of an unfathomable thought here. Deep as the ocean. Um, now, let's talk about how God's love like a river. Isaiah 48, 18. Who had that one? Flowing like a river, and literally offering me peace like a river here. Remember that old song? Okay, flowing. The Lord's love is flowing like a river here. Okay, now one one a pretty familiar one is from the second verse of the twenty third psalm, uh, where it talks about He leads me beside still waters. Now, by the way, that's not talking about Payne County. Sorry, He led me to still water, and it didn't turn out all that good. Okay, but um, um, uh, sorry, Cliff. It was just a really hard year of my life, you know. Uh, I actually made pretty good grades, but the rest of it was kind of going south. So, But it's not talking about Payne County. It's talking about, he leads me to peaceful times in my life. The, Lord, um, the Lord's peace is talked about here. Okay, let's do one more. Uh, Isaiah 43, 20. God's love here, his provision, uh, provides refreshment. You get that? You know, we talked a little bit ago about how water is refreshing on a hot day. The Lord's love to me, the Lord's uh, care over me is like a refreshing spring. So uh, I again ask the question, can I ever get enough of this? There's no natural explanation for what Ezekiel is seeing here. Now, what happens, the outcome in that verse, Bob, that we almost missed, um, is there are trees springing up everywhere this water's going. I've got, a, I've got a tree in my backyard. I've got a hole in my backyard where a tree once was for a while that um, is just, you know, every time I um, stick a tree in it, it dies. And, um, um, and I finally decided, I think, I'm hoping this works out this time because now the third different tree is in the same hole. Um, I think it's because it's getting too much water. So I, put a, so I put a tree there that's a really thirsty tree, and so far it's thriving. Okay? So the idea is that there are, by the banks of, these, of this river, there are trees and, and, uh, and um, uh, greenery growing up everywhere because... The idea here is that this river is bringing life to the area. So what once, we first looked at it, this water rushing out front of the threshold of the temple, which would say, somebody would think, well, there's, you know, there's a leak inside. Well, that's not what they're dealing with at all because there wasn't a water source inside there. There is something wonderful flowing out here, and there's life springing up everywhere you look. Wonderful, life-giving water. Now, the water's rising, but it's also reviving. Let's read five verses now uh, before we finish. Eight down through 12. Who'll read verse eight down through 12?
Okay, the picture kind of continues here. Now, we've got to use look into some of the pictures that are that are dealt with here and make sure we understand them. Um, that this guide now deals with the water's flow, not just with its flow. It dealt with a little bit of that last time. But now with its effect, what, what's going to happen as a result of wherever this water goes. Now, um, what do you know about the Dead Sea? It's mentioned here. Do what? Nothing alive. Why? Do anybody know why there's nothing alive in it? Water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. Yeah, and it's kind of a, there's a, obviously a spiritual metaphor there. Water flows in, but nothing flowing out. And as a result, it has become extremely, um, um, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, dense with salt. Uh, probably five to ten times saltier than the Mediterranean Sea, which is nearby, uh, than most seas. Five to ten times saltier is the Dead Sea. Um, and, and so what, one of the things that's going to happen here is that this river that's flowing out of the temple is flowing into the Arabah, which is, you can just think of the word desert, okay, flowing into the desert, making it verdant. You see trees popping up everywhere. That's kind of that part of that deal. And then some of it, a lot of it then, at the end of it, is flowing into the Dead Sea, but something happens when it gets to the Dead Sea. What happens? It freshens the Dead Sea. Now, you need to think of the word brackish. You ever heard of, thought of that word? You, ever, you kind of know what that word means? It's not a pleasant word. It's not, um, boy, I want to go swimming in brackish water today. You, you wouldn't say that. Uh, kind of uh, nasty and not life-filled. But here, when, when this river flows into the Dead Sea, it brings life into it. That's the effect. Look at verse 9. The Dead Sea, this river of life, has now created a sea of life. The sea comes alive. It's teeming with life. Now, I want us to go to the very first chapter in the Bible. That ought to be easy to find. In verse 10, it's going to use the word, uh, the vision uses the word kind to describe uh, the numbers or the types of um, animals in the sea, fish, etc. I'm going to go to verse 21. There, it's a similar expression that, start, that begins uh, in the first chapter of the Bible. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. I'm not all that keen on uh, sea serpents, but anyway, that's kind of what it's talking about there. 
Anyway, look at verse 22. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and morning of the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Every kind. Cattle and creeping things, beasts of the earth, after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God said it was good. So the idea here is that all these kinds of fish are teeming, growing, filled with life in what used to be a dead sea. This is kind of a, a uh, no, uh, it, Roger, for, for those of you guys that like to fish, there's no need for a boat. Did you catch that? They're catching them off the bank. There's no need for a rod and reel. You can just reach down and grab them or put a net down and get fish. That's nothing, it's certainly nothing in that area ever seen like this. Um, you, can, you can just put your net in from the shore and catch fish. Um, and then it gives us some geographical detail that Steve read the, the two cities it's talking about. That means it's happening really from both sides of, of uh, the sea. You can say from shore to shore, and of every kind of fish, like in the Mediterranean. It kind of compares it to the Mediterranean. All those fish that are out in the Great Sea are in this sea now. It's just teeming with life. But then it mentions, in verse 11, the exception. What's the exception? Marshes and swamps. Not going to mean any life over there. Uh, the exception to all of this life. And the idea is, the further you get away from, uh, from the flow, life ceases. You got to be near it. Actually, like Ezekiel currently is, standing in it, in the river's flow, to experience its benefits. It's kind of wonderful here. Now, I want us to go to, somebody go to Psalm 63, verse 1. Psalm 63, 1. Somebody get that for us? Look over a hand. Psalm 63, 1. Somebody get it? Thank you, Louise. Um, all right. I've got to be close to the source of the water to feel its life-giving power. We'll kind of deal with that in just a minute. Listen to what... David says about thirst. Louise? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. You ever been thirsty like that? The more important question is, have you ever been thirsty for God like that? That's what David's saying. I am Thirsty for you. Did you know Jesus in Matthew 5, in his great sermon on the mount, says, you can choose what to thirst for. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, he said. And, and David is saying here, I am literally, God, parched for you. Now, what I want to deal with here from verse 11 and 12 is that um, I've got to have an appropriate thirst for God if I'm going to be filled up with him. Now, here's the last result, and then we'll move on and kind of apply it, and we'll, we'll go on to church. 47.12, I want to read it again. Listen to this, these trees that are described here, okay? Uh, by the way, verse 11, what goes in the, the um, uh, verse, I probably didn't even fill in 10, did I? 
This is not new. It's the language of creation. Verse 11, it's clear that you must be near the river of life to experience its benefits. you got to be in it, in its flow. And then number 12, there are, these aren't ordinary trees that are growing there either. Let's read a description of them from verse 12, and we'll kind of close. By the river on its bank, on one side and the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, <coughs> I was in uh, Home Depot for a minute yesterday and there you can buy fruit trees right now really cheap there. <laughs> you really can't, like half off. I wonder why. Good luck getting them to grow. Yeah, but you know, no, that that would be certain death, Ellie, to put them in the hole that I got in my yard. But, but um, yeah, fruit trees are probably not going to do for a little while right now. And certainly, the fruit trees that I saw out in front of Home Depot had no fruit on them. What about these fruit that are described here in verse twelve? Every month, they bear. There, there's a passage that I referenced from Revelation uh, twenty-two that talks about. Uh, and, and also from Genesis 2, it's kind of the same descriptions where kind of the Bible comes full circle on itself. It talks about uh, uh, literally trees planted by the river of life that bear fruit every month, and it's a different fruit every month. Can you imagine that kind of a fruit of the month club? How wonderful. That's kind of the description here, flowing out of the temple of God. Uh, fruit every, look at a couple of different things about them. He, let's, let's read it again. They will, not bear, they will bear every month because their, water flow, because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Uh, no ordinary trees, fruit every month, different kinds of fruit. There will be no fall. Know what I mean by that? There will be no falling of the leaves. They stay on them all the time. I've never seen a tree like that. And these leaves are full of healing. Did you catch that? You pull a leaf off the tree. You got a sore and it goes away. Bob, you got a bad back and it, you rub a leaf on it and it goes away. I mean, you know, the, tree, the leaves on the trees are full of healing. Uh, what a wonderful tree. I want one of those in my yard, but I don't want to put it in that one place because I'm afraid it'll kill it. Um, <clears throat> it's clear to me that, John, the vision is not about a building. It's clear to me that it's not really about the Dead Sea, even though it uses that imagery. And it's not about Palestine at all. But this water flows, it originally flowed out of Palestine. I want to tell you where it came from and let, where, when it began and uh, what Ezekiel is seeing forward to, and we'll look at it. Go with me to John 4 just for a minute, okay? <clears throat> John 4. To the right in your Bible, just a little bit. Jesus meets a woman at the well in Sychar, over in Samaria. Okay, I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to say, says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you what kind of water? Living water. 
She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's going to flow under the threshold, he says. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. So I won't be thirsty or have to come here all this way to draw. He is offering her this water. <coughs> Turn like one page, chapter 7. Here's how he identifies himself. Now on the last day, 737, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Where do you get the water? Oh, it started in Palestine. <laughs> it started in a manger in Bethlehem. That vision of it that Ezekiel sees is the water that you and I drink from every morning when we open our Bibles and the Holy Spirit is poured out in my heart to understand and to follow him. It's that which Jesus promised in John 14 when he said, you know, you're going to be able to do greater things than I could even do. And it began from Palestine, but it's certainly not talking about the Dead Sea. It's not talking about some building that may be rebuilt someday. It's talking about the life-giving flow that comes from him that he offered to the woman at the well in Sychar and that he offered to the crowd in John 7 and said, if you're thirsty, come to me, and you'll never thirst again. Now, here's the question I want to leave with you as we end today. What's coming out from under your threshold? What's flowing out of your life? <clears throat> I really want, during this period of my life, for living water to flow freely from me. I want to be a conduit of this living flow that is presented here. <coughs> Sorry, I've been letting talk long enough that I can't talk anymore. Bless you. Be thinking this week about what's flowing under the threshold of your life and your experience, okay? See you next week.